Let me just fill you in on where we've been, however, before we get into the text. We've been camping out in John chapter 10 for a number of weeks, and what's happened there is that we've seen the orchestrated, systematic, intense uh, contempt the Jewish religious leaders in Jerusalem had for this unusual rabbi, Yeshua, Jesus. And things are really, really picking up uh, so that they're plotting his demise. In fact, in a few months, he will be murdered. And uh, he knows this, but he remains at this point in conversation with the Jewish religious leaders. I think even at this point, he's interested in their repentance. And so he extends the opportunity to them and those who are listening in on the heated conversation. In just three months from the timing of John chapter 10, uh, the Lord will be crucified. He will return to Jerusalem and uh, he will uh, submit to the Father's will and offer his life for folks like you and I. So that's kind of the context and at this point, uh, the Lord has more to say to the Jewish religious leadership. And so he says this now in John chapter 10, verse 37. Just a few verses tonight. John chapter uh, 10, beginning in verse 37. He said, if I do not do the works of my father, do not believe me. I mean, he has such confidence in the authenticity of the miraculous things he's been doing. He's so persuaded that they are persuasive. He tells people, if the works I've done before you, he's healed the blind man, he's done all manner of things. If these works do not persuade you that I possess equality with God and am here under the auspices of the Father, well then don't believe what I say. If the works mean nothing to you, if they don't confirm my words, he says, well then just dismiss them. His point is that his miraculous works were meant to substantiate his words. And so he said, if I do the works of my father, if I do not do the works of my father, well, then you're off the hook. Don't believe me. But if I do them, though you do not believe me, if you dismiss my words, he's saying, at least believe the works so that you may know and understand that the father is in me and I in the Father. And once again, he's claiming equal divinity with the Father. He's saying, though the Father is different than the Son, and the Son is different than the Father, both the Father and the Son are equally God. They heard him for that, and this is their response in verse 39. Therefore, they were seeking again. It's not the first time. They were seeking again to seize him, and the text says he eluded their grasp. And I'm dying to know how. Maybe you are too. Folks, it's Jerusalem. It's a big city. It's cosmopolitan. He's attracting a lot of attention. There's a crowd watching this. The Jewish religious leadership, Pharisees, Sadducees, members of the ruling council, the Sanhedrin, they're there. They have the Lord 
cornered. It's in a public area. It's in the precincts of the temple. I want to know how, in fact, did he elude their grasp? Well, we're not told. We're left simply uh, to wonder. But don't wonder too much. Even though this Jesus was fully man, do not minimize his divinity. Here is the mystery we accept. He's the God-man. He's fully God, yet enfleshed. And therefore, he had divine prerogatives at his disposal we, not, we do not know of. He could do what a mere man could not do. Somehow, he eluded their grasp. Now, some people, critics of the Bible, say, how could you worship this Jesus who was a coward? He's running from his destiny. Well, that is blasphemy and a total misunderstanding. In fact, as I said, in three months from this text, he will submit to the most excruciating capital punishment devised by humankind. He will be impaled on a cross in full view of the public. But the timing thereof was not to be determined by a crazed group of Jewish religious leaders. No, the timing was the sons and the fathers. And so he would say, my time to do what I came to do, that is to die for folks like you and me, my time has not yet come. And so he eluded them for three months. Now, where did he go? Well, here we don't have to guess because... Verse 40 tells us, he went away again beyond the Jordan. So a little bit of geography. The Jordan River flows from the north to the south. It is sourced uh, up north. Uh, there can be snow on a mountain called Mount Hermon. When it melts, it feeds this water, the Jordan River. It flows south. It empties into the Sea of Galilee. It resumes its trek from the southern end of the Sea of Galilee, even further down south, all the way down to the Dead Sea. The Jordan River is a natural boundary between nations of the world today. So if you think of the Jordan River running from the north to the south, on the east side of the river, that's present-day Israel. If you go Across the Jordan River, that would be, excuse me, that's the east side. The west side is Israel. The east side is Jordan, the country of Jordan today. So the Lord Jesus, we're told, left Jerusalem and went beyond the Jordan. That means he crossed it and went to the east side of the Jordan River. It's a uh, region called Perea. P-E-R-E-A. He was in Judea. He crossed the Jordan River. He's in Perea right now. Judea is where Jerusalem, the capital of Israel, is. So it's cosmopolitan. It's sophisticated. That's where the big government was, all the religious leaders. If he crosses the Jordan to go into Perea, he's in the country right now. If you can kind of envision that. That's what it says he did. And specifically... He went to the place where John, that's John, the baptizer or the immerser. Uh, two guys got baptized tonight. That's what Roger and Victor. God bless you both. Welcome to the family of God. I can't tell you what a blessing you were to let us watch your baptism, but even more of a blessing to God. You just gave him a gift. What do you give God who has everything? 
You give him your life, and that's what you did. And we got to view it, so thank you. And what you did has been done with believers like you for thousands of years. John, Brother Chuck baptized you tonight. John, the baptizer, baptized people 2,000 years ago. And we've been doing this ever since. So John the baptizer was baptizing at this particular place. And it says he, the Lord, was staying there. So I wondered, why did the Lord go back to the place of his own baptism? Do you remember when the Lord was baptized? And uh, the spirit descended like a dove and a voice made itself known from on high. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And that was the inauguration of the Lord's ministry. It was at this particular place in the Jordan River. Why did the Lord go back there? Well, I've gone back to the place of my baptism in my own mind. Maybe you have. So, Roger and Victor, today is, uh, what's today's date? April something? 25th? Okay, so April 25th. 2018. Don't ever forget this. On this particular day, in that order, you publicly identified with the Lord Jesus Christ. Even without a word, you said, I belong to Jesus, and he belongs to me. You were unashamed about what you just did, and uh, that sort of happened with the Lord. It was a glorious time, if you can imagine. It's before he was led into the Judean wilderness to be viciously tempted by the evil one. He went from a time of great joy joy and glory to a time of great temptation. This too happens to us a lot as Christians. And I wonder if at this point, in an extremity of need, he knows what the future holds. He knows he's going to have to drink from this cup, the destiny of which would be his own death. And he's being persecuted now by his own people. He came to his own, but his own received him not. He's alone. They want his head. They want to murder him. His intentions were were only to offer his life that they might live eternally, and they missed the whole point and reject him. And I think he went back to that place where he experienced great joy and glory. It was a, it was a high spot in his life. I think about that when I was baptized. I was in the military. It was in a place called Omaha, Nebraska, if you could believe that. It's like, it's a state. And uh, is Alexis here? Alexa, okay, there's a wonderful lady from Nebraska. I just offended her state, so I'm glad she's not here. Anyway, uh, I, uh, I and a bunch of other guys, we were stationed there, <clears throat> and many of us came to know the Lord. We went to this very small country church. I remember the name. Listen to this. It was called Pleasant View Berean Fundamentalist Church. So you get an idea of the church I first got exposed to. And uh, it was a great place to grow. And I, I was baptized there by the pastor, Pastor Darrell. I'll never forget. I remember like it was yesterday. I didn't understand everything, but I understood I was publicly identifying with Christ, just like Roger and Victor did a few moments ago. It was a long time ago, 1973. But I remember it like it was yesterday. And every once in a while in my mind, when things are kind of tough or challenging, I go back there. And I remember how things started. Oh, the baptism didn't save me. The baptism told people, without a word, I'm saved. But shortly before that, I was saved. And everything changed. 
Everything in my life changed from that particular point. So sometimes under stress or duress, in my mind, I revisit that. I remember my baptism, and, and I rejoice. It was a wonderful time. And I remember that God rescued me and that I belong to him, and, and he's mine, and he'll, no matter what, he'll never let me go. And baptism says all that things to me, uh, those things. And I wonder if that's one of the reasons why the Lord went back to this particular place. And here's what happened, verse 41. Many came to him. He went to this place. It's out in the country. The word got out that he was there. Many came to him and were saying, while John performed no sign, John performed no miracle, that means. While John performed no sign, yet everything John said about this man was true. Wow. John, as outstanding as he was, performed nothing outstanding as far as supernatural miracles. That's what the text says. He didn't do anything like that. All he did was to tell people about Jesus. And apparently that bore fruit. Because long after he's gone, you know where John is now? He's dead. He was imprisoned for the faith on trumped up charges. He was executed. He was decapitated. He's long gone. He never got to see the fruit of his evangelism. No, he didn't leave it for anybody, as the video comically indicated. He saw that to be his privilege and responsibility. And though he could perform no stupendous miracles, he shared the gospel, which itself is the power of God for salvation. I mean, Roger's uh, evidence of it. He heard the gospel on Sunday. Something happened inside of him. Nobody could force him to do that. That was God's spirit working in his life. And the next thing you know, he's in the baptistry telling each of us he belongs to Jesus. And so John performed no sign. He simply verbalized the good news, the gospel message. And he did this. It was not in a big city, not, not an urban area with a bunch of sophisticated, well-educated people. It was rural. It was on the other side of the river. These were country folk. And they concluded everything John said about this man was true. What a contrast in this big fancy city with well-educated, wealthy people, Jerusalem. They were immersed. They had evidence of many of the signs which the Lord performed, yet they rejected him. But out here in the country, the country folk saw none of these supernatural miracles. And yet, based on the gospel shared by John, they came to faith. What a contrast. In fact, verse 42 says, many believed in him there. We don't know how many, but it says many believed in him. Simple country people were able to receive what their sophisticated religious counterparts refused to believe. I never forget uh, when uh, I shared the gospel with my mother, who's now with the Lord, uh, years ago, she was then in her late 60s. She lived here to be 100, but she was then in her late 60s. And I remember sharing the gospel with her. My mother was an uneducated uh, woman. I think she finished maybe, I don't know, junior high, never went to high school. In those days, people just didn't get that far. That's all it was. She was a factory worker all her life. And when she heard the gospel, that's all it took. It didn't have to be embellished or dramatized or backed up by signs and wonders. It was the power of the gospel, which 
uh, ushered this very simple, uh, uneducated lady into the fold. But I have sophisticated relatives who are educated, and they, they wanted nothing to do with talk of Jesus. Isn't that very interesting? Sometimes people are too educated for their own good. I didn't say educated people don't come to know the Lord, but sometimes it's harder for them. And so these country people really responded, but their religious leaders did not. John's gone. He did not see the fruit of his evangelistic endeavors. This really encourages me. He was just faithful to share the gospel, meaning to tell people about Jesus and what he has done for us. And then he left the results for God. And look at the results. Even after he passed away, his evangelistic endeavors are still bearing fruit. Folks, you can share Christ with people and not see an immediate response. Do not get discouraged. You may not be a miracle worker, a, 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 an astute theologian, a pastor, or a missionary. It's just you who, who has been radically saved by Jesus. And you tell someone about it, and you don't see an immediate response. Well, don't give up, because you have no idea what fruit your little old deposit may produce and bear in their life, maybe even after, maybe even after you're gone. Folks, it's not difficult to talk to people about Jesus. In fact... Uh, I, uh, I worked out a little deal one time, and I wanted to get something in my brain that I could use to transition a friendly conversation with people into conversation about the Lord. And I got it down to 40 words, and I memorized it. I don't know if I've ever shared this with you. It goes like this. Let me tell you about the greatest thing that ever happened to me. It was when I realized that God was willing to forgive all my sins through the sacrifice, through the death of his son Jesus on the cross in my place. That's what I do. I share. Sometimes people respond. Sometimes they don't. Our uh, washing machine broke down a couple days ago. And so I called an appliance guy to come over and take a look at it, see what he thought. I had never met him before. He was from another country in, in Europe. And so I made conversation with him, got to know him a little bit, talked to him about his homeland and how he ended up coming here and all the rest. And, and then I said, I, I know you're busy. Thank you for coming out so quickly. I'll let you get about your work. And so I disappeared. Came back a little while later, and I said, hey, thanks so much for working on this. Are you thirsty? Can I get you a bottle of water? And I said, I don't want to take too much of your time. I know, I know you're busy, but, hey, let me tell you about, and there you go. I said to him, let me tell you about the greatest thing that ever happened. There he was. He's got his tool belt. He's got our washing machine apart and all the rest. He's looking me right in the eye. He's from another country, and we established a bit of a relationship. I gave him a bottle of water and all that stuff, and I said, I know you're busy, but let me tell you about the greatest thing that ever happened to me. It was when I realized that God was willing to forgive all my sins through the death of his son Jesus on the cross in my place. And he seemed entirely disinterested. And I could pick up, we're not going further here. Uh, he was just not interested in any way. I can tell by his nonverbals and all the rest. And maybe I wasn't as bold as I ought to be, but I let it go then. I said, thanks for listening to me. I'll let you get back to your work. And I felt a little disappointed, but what I just read about John encourages me to keep praying for that guy. Even after John's uh, uh, testimony 
experience ended and his evangelistic enterprise came to an end. He lost his head, literally, for following Christ. Even after he's long gone, the seeds he planted were bearing fruit. Many were coming to the Lord Jesus and were believing. Not on the basis of anything stupendous. John did. He performed no miracle. Sometimes we think someone else could lead that guy to Christ, but not me. They speak better than I do. They know a bunch of words that I don't have, and who knows? No, no, no. It has nothing to do with that. It's the message. The message has inherent power to save those who will be saved. So I was encouraged to continue to pray for that guy. You know, I would not be surprised if one day when we get to heaven, he taps me on the shoulder and says, hey, thanks for the water. But more importantly than that, thank you for talking to me about uh, springs of water that welled up in my soul unto eternal life. Because you made that deposit in my life, then I'm here now. Folks, that could happen. Don't get discouraged. Well, uh, he couldn't fix the doggone machine. That's the bottom line, I suppose. He couldn't get it fixed. Put it all back together, and I thought, oh, me, I gotta, I'm going to have to get another washing machine. So my wife and I went, and we got this washing machine and at a place, and they were going to deliver in a couple days. Sure enough, they, here come two guys. They're delivering the washing machine, good guys. And, you know, I was friendly to them, and they hook up the machine. And uh, I don't know. I just couldn't bring myself to share my 40 words. I, I don't want to give you the impression that I have this scoped out. I don't. Sometimes I, I just like you, get distracted with, the, frankly, the mundane things of life. And I forget that I had an opportunity with these two appliance delivery guys to make a deposit in their life. I just wanted them to get it done, plug it in, you know, so that my wife could get back to work. <laughs> I'm just saying that because she's not here. <laughs> Present time. And... and uh, so, but anyway, as they were leaving, I thanked them. I said, hey, thanks so much for coming out and doing such a good job. Thank you. And I had, uh, I had this. I carry these things around with me. It's a tract. I don't know why people don't use these anymore. I don't get it. We're getting so fancy electronically that we don't think God can use something like this. It's just one I like. It's called The Bridge to Life. And it tells the gospel message in such a good way. And I said to the guys, thanks for coming. Hey, let me give you this. I hope... When you get a chance, you read it. I said, the message in that little booklet changed my life, and I think it can change yours as well. I have my name and telephone number on the back. I said, hey, if you ever want to talk about the contents of that little pamphlet, I would just love uh, to meet with you anytime you want to. Man, I thought, nah, that's not that much. I could have done. I could have said so much more. But then I thought about what happened with John. And that little deposit, that little track, could be used of God to start the process in which they are ushered into the faith. I mean, they could be waiting uh, to go into someone else's house and the person's not there yet and have nothing to do and they read this little thing and God's Holy Spirit can use it. The gospel is the power of God for salvation, not me, not you. We don't have to perform miracles. We don't have to have all the answers. We don't have to argue anyone in the faith. Ours is the privilege of just sharing with them the astoundingly good news of a holy God who came near in order to suffer and die for unholy folk like you and I. I, I hope you don't get discouraged about evangelism. 
I pray you'd take every opportunity uh, as I'm asking the Lord to help me as well to make some kind of deposit in someone's life knowing it alone, even after you're gone, could be enough. It can grow in that person's life so that they are embraced by faith by the Lord Jesus, by the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, you are a witness for Christ. So am I. And by the way, that's the reason we're still here. That is the primary reason why we're still left here. There's not a whole lot of other reasons. The primary reason is to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ for as long as he has us here. Now, everyone does that in a different way. Don't have to copy other people. But every one of us, you know what? Every one of us has the great privilege and responsibility of making it easier for people to believe in Jesus. In fact, that's what a Christian is. A Christian who is someone who makes it easier for other people to believe in Jesus. Don't invalidate the gospel, neither you nor me, through sin or immorality or financial misappropriation or an inconsistent lifestyle. No way. Let's not invalidate the gospel by the way we live, and let's not deny people the gospel by refusing to offer it to them. We're here for that reason. And I'll, I'll share with you a verse of scripture that really encourages me in this regard. I hope it encourages you. It's 1 Corinthians, you know about this, 1558. Paul speaks. He says, therefore, my beloved brethren, that's us. He said, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And what happened with John? shows me the truthfulness of 1 Corinthians 15, 58. He did not see certain immediate results, but his labors were not in vain. John was no miracle worker, but he was a faithful witness who pointed people to Jesus Christ. Now, I want to share with you one word that triggered all kinds of thinking in my little brain. It's the last word of verse 42. It's the word there. See, it's where it says, many believed in him there. And that word just uh, obligated me to see a contrast. In another place, Jerusalem, the gospel met with a terrible response. Sophisticated religionists rejected the gospel, though it was backed up by the miraculous works of Messiah himself. In that place, the gospel was rejected. But Many believed in him there, in the country, in a rural area, unsophisticated, uneducated people, even with a whole bunch of miraculous signs to back it up, they believed in the gospel. And so that word highlights to me the contrast between the only two people groups in the world. I know we divide on all kinds of other bases, but uh, this is the real division between people, those who have the Son and those who do not have the Son. And whenever you share the gospel, you'll see the dividing line. Some, like those in Jerusalem, will harden themselves to it, while others, like those on the other side of the Jordan, will soften and accept it. And so we have spoken over the last few weeks about some of the things we believe here at Sagemont Church, because we would like for, for you, if you're not a member, to join, but not too soon. We want you to know what we believe. And I mentioned a few things in prior weeks. I mentioned to you we believe Jesus is God. Remember, he said, I and the Father are one. 
We spend a lot of time talking about it. It's a claim to divinity. And we said to you, we believe this Jesus is God. Uh, Secondly, he said one time, and the scripture cannot be broken. In doing so, he substantiated and authenticated the written word of God. Now, I told you a second thing. First thing, we believe Jesus is God. Second thing, we believe the Bible is the word of God. Now, the third thing tonight, we believe Christians ought to be sharing the gospel of God. Everybody who's a believer right away, clumsy, awkward, uh, though it may be, start If you have a heart for God, start engaging your mouth for God. Now, it ought to be easier in this day because every looney tune in the world is spouting forth all kinds of craziness, outrageous nonsense. But we have truth. We should not be ashamed of sharing truth. So those are the three things we believe in and that have been revealed in the text in John 10 uh, thus far. But when we share the gospel, people respond differently. It's like the sun uh, shining on different substances. If the sun is um, landing on chocolate, it will melt it. But if it lands on clay, it hardens it. And that's what the same gospel message does. It produces different results in the hearer's life. And you and I are not responsible for the response. We're only responsible for sharing the gospel message. So to highlight this, I want us, in closing, to look to a passage outside of John. And I'd like you to go there with me, if you don't mind. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And you're familiar with this, I'll bet. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. Let me just say a few things and then we'll end. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Paul is writing. He says, but thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. You know what he's saying? He's using something that was familiar in his day under Roman occupation. In Rome, when the Roman legion won a victory over enemies and they came back to Rome, the emperor would acknowledge the victory by authorizing a parade. The victorious Roman general would lead the parade, be massive. Right behind the general, he'd be riding in a chariot, would be the victorious soldiers. They'd be decked in their uniforms and they would be carrying their unit regimental banners and so proudly holding these things. And, and then behind them would be carriages carrying all the booty, the loot uh, that the Romans took from their enemies and last in the procession. People are on both sides. There'd be a big crowd of, of people uh, acknowledging the victorious military force of Rome and the last folks to bring up the rear would be captured uh, soldiers in chains and their destiny would be either to be enslaved or executed. And Paul is essentially saying, I'm sharing the gospel all over the place and sometimes I get a good result and response and other times I really don't, but it doesn't matter. I'm confident that I'm going to be in a victorious procession one day, and at the head will not be a victorious Roman general. It'll be the Lord Jesus Christ. He will lead. He will lead the victorious, triumphant processional, and I'll be with him. He will always lead me and you in his triumph in Christ Jesus. That's what he said. And he said, not only that, we're like a, uh, 
We're like a fragrant, a sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every single place. What did he mean? As part of the parade, the priests, the Roman priests, would release incense into the air. That's what they would do. Sweeten up the atmosphere. And Paul is saying, we're kind of like that. We are a fragrant aroma, a sweet aroma of the knowledge of Christ wherever we go. That's who we are in the way we live, in the way we speak. We're like incense. We diffuse through the crowd the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul is saying people respond in different ways, sometimes angrily, aggressively. Other times they submit. They accept. And no matter what, we'll be led in triumph in Christ. It's a victory parade that awaits us. And even while that happens, we are a sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every single place. And then he says, verse 15, for we are a fragrance of Christ to God. I never saw that before this way. A fragrance of Christ to whom? Not the people we're trying to witness to. No, no, don't worry about them. We are, when we witness, when we live for Christ, when we unashamedly proclaim the gospel, according to this text, we are a fragrance of Christ to God. Folks, it's like an offering, a sweet aroma that ascends to the nostrils of Almighty God when we unashamedly publicly identify with Christ and seek to engage people in conversation about the gospel. This is a sweet-smelling, fragrant aroma in the nostrils of Almighty God. No matter how people respond, don't worry about it. It's like an offering. Evangelism is like an offering which we render to Almighty God who's pleased just in the fact that we're willing to participate in the process of sharing the good news message about a crucified, risen Savior. It's as if God is saying, nothing smells better to me then when you do that, now listen, don't miss the point here. We may be a fragrant aroma to God, but we stink to a bunch of other folk. <laughs> we just don't smell good to certain people. And they let us know about it in so many words. Don't cave in. Don't back down. Here's the outcome. You're going to be led in a triumphal procession, the Lord Jesus at the head. And you are like incense diffused through the crowd, regardless of the response. And regardless of how people respond, please know you just made an offering. And it's a fragrant aroma of Christ to Almighty God. No matter how our message is received, this is the case. So, you say, I'm not very good in evangelism. No, you don't get it. You have succeeded when you live for the Lord and speak unashamedly about the Lord's mercy and grace. When you do something like that, when you take the opportunity to talk to people about Jesus, you have succeeded in evangelism regardless of the response. You just rendered a sweet-smelling offering to all mighty God. That's what it says. Now remember, again, though this aroma pleases God, it just does not please everybody. In fact, as I mentioned earlier, this very aroma is what divides the world. So it says in verse 16, to the one, this is an aroma from death to death, but to the other, an aroma from life to life. See, the Roman priests, as I mentioned, would burn incense in the same 
incense would have a different effect to the victorious Roman soldiers. That incense would be a fragrant smell of victory. But to the prisoners in chains, the same incense would be an aroma from death to death. And so too is the aroma of the gospel. To those who will receive it, we are like an aroma. It is like an aroma from life to life. But to those who resist and harden it, who reject it, no gospel sharing is to them. It's like an aroma from death to death. We just don't smell the same to everybody. And by the way, if you smell the same to everybody, you're probably watering down the gospel message. You're probably not sharing it. Because if you're sharing it, it divides. It is a beautiful message to those who accept it. It's a threatening message. And so are you, therefore, to those who refuse it. We saw in our text for tonight in John chapter 10 that some rejected Christ while others accepted him. And the same truth, the same gospel, you see, it elicited two very different responses. It softened some. It hardened others. That's the way it is. It's not about you. It's about the effect the gospel message has on people contingent on what's on their heart. But regardless of people's response to the gospel, please know God is glorified when we share it with people. For those who accept the gospel now, God is glorified in that his mercy is identified and recognized by the one who accepts Christ. But if that one, if one refuses to accept Christ, then it's this attribute of God, his justice, will one day be identified and uplifted in the eyes of those people. Therefore, we can't lose. We're in a victory parade. We're a fragrant aroma of the knowledge of Christ in every place. And no matter how people respond to our testimony, God's response is, that smells so good to me. Thank you. Listen to me. I'm a parent, grandparent. You know, uh, it does my heart good if I ever found out my kids are speaking well of me out there somewhere. Even though it's not Christmas or their birthdays or something like that. If I just happen to hear, hey, your son said, you know, really good things about you. Well, I got to tell you, that's like a fragrant aroma. How much more, Heavenly Father? Think of evangelism as an offering we make to Almighty God. Oh, God, here's my gift to you. I'm going to talk about you to people because I cannot contain how good you've been to me. How much I think of you and love you for having first loved me. I like what Brother Chuck said to these men. He said, do you love the Lord Jesus? Of course they said they do. But you know why? Because he first loved them and they realized, how could we be quiet about the Father's love? And when we open our mouth, regardless of the response, I'm telling you, it's like a fragrant aroma to Almighty God. Now, realizing the weightiness of this, Paul closes his comments way back there in 2 Corinthians with this, and who is adequate for these things? Now, you would think the question requires this answer. None of us. Wrong answer. We are adequate for these things. Why? If God requires that we represent him, if God gave us that privilege, and he did, don't you think he'll give us the enablement to succeed at it? 
Don't you think he'll equip us and supply us and pour into us opportunities and words and wisdom and all the rest? Who is adequate for these things? Every one of us who's been redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ and who will be supplied by him to represent him well in the world. That's everyone here. So in closing, let me just say, may it be true of you and I here that we are intent for as long as we have, we don't know. We are intent on being a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. For we who know are here to tell those who don't know. That's our purpose. Oh, God in heaven, thank you for saving us. And thank you for staking your reputation on us. We think you could do better, but this is your way. You've made a deposit in earthen vessels. That's us. Ordinary people, we're not, most of us, miracle workers. We're not outstanding. We're just normal. But we have come to know an exceptional Savior who has exceptionally saved us by grace. Oh, God, that's the message that's been deposited in our lives. Would you put it within us to look for opportunities to share it? Even this week, and even as we go about our business, washing machines, this, that, and the other thing, the busyness of life, please help us to see each of these to be an opportunity to interface with someone we come in contact with, whether it's a mere 40 words or something else that emanates from our heart. Maybe a track, maybe something. Oh, God, would you put us about the business of representing you unashamedly and boldly, not just in the waters of baptism, but in our daily experience. And this we pray in Jesus' name, amen, amen.